long been a magnet for dreamers and misfits, people who think the unsullied enormity of the last frontier will patch all the holes in their lives. The bush is an unforgiving place, however, that care nothing for hope or longing. John Krakauer. Today's story takes us to Anchorage, Alaska. Let's hit the road for today's transgressions. All right. And just a warning, names are hard, so please forgive me if I mess any of them up. (laughs) And forgive me if I'm sniffly, because it's a thing today. Our story starts in the early 1980s, Alaska's natural beauty a consistent backdrop to the hustle and bustle of the booming town. The 800-mile Trans-Alaska Pipeline was being built, and that required a ton of oil-filled workers. These workers were mostly temporary, but they had money to burn, which brought other people to the area that were even less permanent than they were. And I can totally see that. Probably mostly younger to middle-aged guys, Mm -hmm. maybe a few older bosses um, that work hard, but probably play even harder. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, when you go somewhere for work, it isn't the same getting off work at home Mm, when you're away you have to find things to do to entertain yourself exactly otherwise you just sit in your hotel room watching tv and eating i don't know pizza bonbons right (laughs) (laughs) i mean if you're lucky like maybe they have a swimming pool or something but you gotta find things to do so in addition to the locals there were dancers and sex workers drug dealers that would just kind of come and go and i read something that said there were these dancer circuits Hmm. where girls would tour clubs starting in California all the way up the coast to Alaska and then all the way back down. Wow. I bet they were raking in the dough. Yeah. I mean, not that we're encouraging being a dancer, but we aren't going to judge them either. Shoot, you got to make your monies. Yep. So I don't know that I ever could have done that myself because I'm like super shy, but... um, I'm too much of a homebody. Yeah. Like, but no judgment from us. Um, Anyway, so imagine being a young 19-year-old woman in the Yukon trying to make it on your own, not knowing what life is going to bring you from one day to the next. You're homeless, maybe occasionally couch surfing with friends, doing whatever you can just to make it. One night you're out and about and you encounter a man. He seems normal and kind of unassuming and he's interested in you. So you're like, yeah, I'm going to make a little money. Cool. But instead, when you're alone, he changes. All of a sudden you're abducted at gunpoint, tied up, put in an airplane and flown to a remote location. Once there, you're violently assaulted and then he cuts you from your bindings and tells you to run. That's like stuff that my nightmares are made of. Right. Where do you run? I don't know. And the part that makes it even like more scary is that he then hunts you down and kills you. So it's not like you can even hide anywhere. No. Because where are you going to hide? And you don't know where to even go because you were flown there on a plane, which means it was probably so remote. There's no no people and no streets and nowhere to go if you are running. So, man, I couldn't yeah. even... What do you do? What do you do? What I do don't do? know. What do you even do? So, so scary. This is like one of the many reasons I don't trust people. Like, yeah, no. Fair enough. So that is one account that was given by the perpetrator in this case. That happened more than one time. This was like a routine thing for him. So So if he told somebody about that, then he was almost tooting his old horn about it then. I mean, that would make sense. He didn't always do that. Sometimes he would abduct them and then tell them if they they didn't put up a fight, that he would just let them go and just tell them like not to say anything or he'd find their families or whatever. And that's kind of scary. Yeah. Like to think somebody's out there that can harm you if you say this bad thing that happened to you. Yeah. That's, That's sad. 
For today's episode, we're going to talk about two victims of a serial killer that was active in the early 80s. We're focusing on them specifically because one was just recently identified and the other is still waiting for her identity to be rediscovered. Because we want to focus on our victims and not the perpetrator, we are not going to give much information about this guy throughout the case. So we will only refer to him as R.H. as in Robert Henry, R.H. If That's you want, not really his name, though. No, it's not. <laughs> That's just what we're referring to him as. If you want to know more and you look up our victims, you will find the information on him as well. Yeah. But we're just going to focus on our victims. Yeah, it's everywhere. If you look up one of them, you'll find him. Yeah. He seemed like a normal person. He owned a business. He was married, claimed to be a devout Christian. Not someone that, like, air quotes, looks like a serial killer, right? That phrase kind of bugs me because they don't all look like they crawled out from under a rock. <laughs> I mean... Right. How many women go crazy over a good-looking booking photo? Right. Like, I don't understand it. Yeah. I mean, okay, you can be a handsome guy, but, like, if you're in there for murder, I'm out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't... I just don't understand it. I want to go back to the part where he claimed to be a Christian. Like, I know we all have our faults, but, like, that's a pretty big one if you have a good relationship with a creator. You can't claim to be a Christian and kill people for enjoyment. Yeah. Period. The end. Yeah, it's like a... Well, no, it's not really the end of our story, but... (laughs) End of that discussion. Yes. (laughs) This just goes to show you, you never know. You can't judge a book by its cover. Like, you just never know. I did see that some people said he had a bad temper, too, and would sometimes berate his employees. Yeah, and I think it's so telling a person's character, like how they treat employees and wait staff. If you're rude to people who are bringing you things and, like, doing stuff for you, it just says a lot about who you are, I think. Treat the CEO and the janitor equally. Exactly. So we meet our first victim, April 25th, 1984, when a body was found near Horseshoe Lake. Now, Horseshoe Lake is kind of north of Anchorage, but west of Palmer. So it kind of makes like a little triangle with Anchorage, Palmer, and then Horseshoe Lake. Uh, The body was female and was believed to be in her late teens. There was no ID on the body and police didn't really have any leads. She had a few personal items of clothing, some condoms, cigarettes, a compact mirror, a comb, and then four gold rings. I know it's almost Christmas, but like, it's not the same. Five (laughs) golden rings. So in 1984, the man responsible was captured and he cut a deal to tell police where his victims were. He indicated that this victim in particular was a sex worker and that she was homeless. All right. So the fact that he was willing to be so open about his murders after he was caught just goes to show how sick and twisted he is because he was almost... Um, like I said earlier, telling stories like yeah. he was proud of it. Like he was kind of braggy. Yeah. And you don't cut a deal and tell all your stories if you're not proud of them. Yeah. That's, that's just certifiable. Well, and like, I feel like part of the deal is that he has to do that. But then there's also some victims that are accounted for that he doesn't claim. So it doesn't make sense. Like, yeah. are you bragging about say, these? And then these you're like, oh, that wasn't me. Yeah. And like, he could just not say anything. Yeah. It's just weird. Be like, I'm games. in here for life. Why would I say anything? I I feel like there's some kind of... Okay, sorry. I'm getting (laughs) sidetracked on him. So back to it. Now, I know we'll say more about being homeless in a minute, but um, man, regardless 
regardless of your lifestyle choices, no one, and I mean no one, deserves to be harmed in this way or any sort of way. Yeah, exactly. For almost 40 years, our victim remained unidentified and was known only as Horseshoe Harriet. That makes me think of like old Western I know. I know. And they named her because she was found near Horseshoe Lake. And I guess Harriet was just kind of catchy and would stick in your mind. But I, I'm always curious, like, how did they come up with that? Like, why yeah. Harriet? Harriet? I don't know. Anyway, in September of 2014, her remains were exhumed. And this was done at the request of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. That was hard. That's according to Alaska Daily News. The reason behind the request was to get a DNA sample and also to create a facial reconstruction, but unfortunately nothing came of it. CBS News reported that in September of 2020, a bone sample was sent to a lab to extract a DNA sample. And then that DNA sample (laughs) was sent to another lab to sequence the DNA for sampling. Alaska DPS reported that in August of 2021, a DNA sample was uploaded to a genetic genealogy site. Now that site in conjunction with Parabon Nano Labs and the Alaska Bureau of Investigation worked together and identified the victim as Robin Pelkey. Oh, yay. So Horseshoe Harriet is no more and Robin Pelkey has returned. What a journey her bone DNA went on. I know. Like just trying to keep up with that path that is awesome that they have come so far in technology these days yeah it's so cool the things that we can do and like how you can have the littlest bit of dna and it can be so old and they can still still make matches still find people like it's just amazing so what we know about robin she was born in colorado in 1963 and according to cbs family told troopers that in the late 70s robin lived in alaska and then her family actually moved to Arkansas. Arkansas sometime in her teen years. In 1981, she actually moved back to Alaska with her father and stepmother. Troopers said that Robin ended up homeless and living on the street, um, but we don't really have any more details on what happened that caused her to leave her dad's home. So sometime in late 82, early 83, only a year or two after moving back to Alaska, Robin had disappeared, but she was never reported missing. What? What do you mean she was never reported missing? I don't know. I couldn't find any other information on it or on why she was no longer with her parents. But yeah, there was never a missing persons report filed for her. Hmm. I, I mean... I guess maybe since she wasn't in their home anymore, they may have just thought she moved on, like moved to a different state, found somebody Mm -hmm. she, you know, fell in love with or something. You just, I don't know, never really know, especially since she was, you know, of age and... Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. Yeah. I mean, and this is pure speculation, but 1981, she would have been 18. That's a hard age for parents and kids. Yeah, for sure. So as a kid, you feel like you're an adult. (laughs) We should be able to do whatever you want. (laughs) Which I guess legally you are, but you're still living under your parents' roof when they have their own rules and their own views on how you should live your life. Sometimes they match and sometimes they are a source of friction. I mean, you just never know. How is your relationship with your parents around well, them? This um, brings up particular memory to mind my mom will probably agree with me (laughs) sorry mom but um one summer I came back from college and I was I think I was 19 at the time um so it was my first summer back after starting college and you know when you're in college uh, living on your own you can stay out as late as you want and go home whenever you want Mm -hmm. well when you're staying at your parents house you kind of have to let them know so they make sure you're not like 
dead somewhere. <laughs> um, and I, it was like four o'clock in the mo- morning. My mom got up really early for work and she wakes up at four. I'm not home. Dun, she dun, calls dun. me and I'm like, I can be out as late as I want. And she's like, no, you can't. And yeah. It ended up in not, not, <laughs> not good, good times but yeah um i i then realized that if i wanted to come back and have a place to stay then i should respect Mm -hmm. them and you know at least let them know my plans and stuff like that make sure it's okay with them or what they expect from me because i fell short that time so mom sorry love you (laughs) thank you for the lesson sorry i was a brat yeah i had that same conversation with my mom probably a couple times at least Mm -hmm. and i don't even know why because really her rule was like don't be out too late but if you're going to be let me know so i don't worry and i couldn't figure out how to do that yeah (laughs) it's a hard concept what was wrong with me for people who only think about themselves because really at that age you only think about yourself but we're adults. Anyway, <laughs> but <laughs> back to one to be considered adults. Yes. <laughs> Eventually, Arkansas State Police were able to make contact with the family members, but they did ask for privacy. I can't imagine how hard that would be. Mm-mm. I mean, on one hand, it would be a relief to know, but on the other hand, I'm sure they are grieving whether like, they knew she was missing and something happened to her and they just kind of gave up on it, or if this is brand new information, mm-hmm. like I thought she was living away somewhere and now to find out that she's not and she's been brutally murdered so i mean that's got to be so hard yeah it would and like i'm not gonna want a bunch of people coming and asking me all kinds of questions when i just found out this news either yeah exactly and depending on who the family members were they may not have even known known about it like i like i said it just i mean that overall it's just a hard hard situation yeah i mean you think about it like that was in the early 80s so surviving relatives if they were kids at that point and people just thought she left like their parents thought she just left they may not have even like said anything to these kids it may not have been something they talked about yeah that's true well t do you want to tell us about our next victim i would be honored july 17th 1980 the body of a woman was found in a wooded area in eklutna alaska a group of electrical workers were working on some power lines and at the base of one of their power poles they found bones and a human skull buried not too far under the surface Mm-mm. nope they nope. nope that's a whole lot of nope yeah right <laughs> I'd be out of there they called police and after the autopsy the medical examiner determined that she had most likely been stabbed to death Ugh. The fact that they could determine that just based on the bones mm-hmm. is just gives me chills. Some trauma there. According to Alaska DPS, her remains had been there for approximately a year. Because she had no identification on her and the police didn't have any leads, she was given the name Eklutna Annie. Annie was between the ages of 16 and 25. She was small in stature and would have been around five foot, give or take an inch either way. Had long, light brown hair with a red tint and was white. Possibly part Native American. In addition to her clothing, she had a bracelet, necklace, earrings, a Timex watch, and some cigarettes. Can we go back to her age real quick? 16 to 25? I feel like that age range is kind of big. Is that have to do with like when your body starts changing and bone structure? Yes. Your bones aren't completely done forming until you're 25 years old. A human's growth plates are done forming around the end of puberty. So say somewhere between 15 and 17. So once females have started their cycles and get into that rhythm and then when boys finish going through their puberty period, changing of the voice, all that stuff, 
Um, that's when the growth plates are done forming. So height and stuff like that for the bones. Yeah. Now, after that's done, the cortex of the bone, so the meat, if you will, of the bone is still maturing. And that process ends around the age of 25. So my guess is how they're coming up with her age is looking at the growth plates are completely closed and then how mature the bones are. So they can see that she had started, like started changing, like her hips might have been starting to widen out or whatever. Correct. And that kind of gives them that range of 16 to 25. So my guess is the bones definitely didn't look more mature than 25. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Okay. So, and since there's not much else to go on, we're going to describe her jewelry in detail. She had a wide copper bracelet, and I would call it more like a cuff. Mm-hmm. And it has three turquoise stones on it, a large one in the middle, a smaller one to the top right and bottom left, sort of in like a diagonal. I think that sounds so pretty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Me I too. know a lot of people, my oldest to be exact, that would love that. Same. Um, her necklace has a group of beads, then a circle disc, and then another group of beads. Then there is a space, another grouping of beads, and a disc. In the middle is a heart charm with a bead on either side. Alaska DPS said the necklace also had turquoise shell, but it is kind of hard to tell where that was. Yeah. Her watch had a chunky gold band with a gold case, brown face, and white hands. She had a gold ring with a white stone. The earrings were plain gold hoops. We will put the pictures we have of the jewelry on our social media accounts. Interviews with the perpetrator indicated that she was a sex worker and may have said that her family lived in Kodiak, but he wasn't sure. And you don't know if he's telling the truth anyway. Yeah. This is all from the mouth of a criminal mm-hmm. um, or a killer. Both. According to the Doe Network, troopers said she may have come to Alaska from Washington or California, but there was no additional information on what made them think that. People.com reported that Annie's remains were exhumed in 2003 to collect DNA samples. This sample was put into a missing persons database, but it did not get any hits. They are also trying to use genetic genealogy to one day identify her family so that maybe they can give her back her name. And I'm going to nerd out for a second because like DNA and genetics are so cool. When I was in college, I took a genetics class as part of the forensic program and it was by far my favorite class. One of the things that we did was to crossbreed two different types of Drosophila and that's a fruit fly and it's the only like scientific name that I can remember. Um, <laughs> Drosophila. Yeah, it just sounds fun. All right. It so does. I kind of want to say it again. <laughs> Drosophila. And that stuck in my head. We could see how the traits changed from one generation to the next. And even wow. between like males and females, you could see this trait was passed just to the males or this one went to the females or whatever. And it was so cool. When I took genealogy, my favorite was the Punnett Square? Punnett Punit, Square? Punnett Square. Punnett yeah. Square? I mean, yeah. Punnett kind of sounds funny, but <laughs> the Punnett Square. I love doing like the reset dominant traits mm-hmm. and bring it down and bring it like all around yeah so, it's so cool when my nephew's fun. like so what are the chances that i'll have redheaded baby i'm like hold on <laughs> well red hair is recessive i, I mean know. he's having red babies that's right redheaded babies <laughs> okay sorry for the rabbit hole you guys 
Um, when researching with this episode, we realized there were so many murderers in Alaska. So many. And was, serials. Yes. Like, like, not just a lot of murders, but a lot of serial killers. Now, Alaska is a beautiful place, and it has tons of good people, so we wondered, like, what's the deal? Yeah. According to investigationdiscovery.com, there's a few reasons that could be contributing factors. Yeah, the first is solitude. There's so much more land, and there are people... Which is great for someone trying to get away or hide. Or hide something. <laughs> something. Whether it's a body, a treasure, whatever. There's so many places you can go that it may be years before anyone crosses the same path again. We saw that with a clue to Annie, right? So she was out there for a year before they found her. And that's only because they were working on the power lines. I mean, what if they hadn't had to do that? That is so freaky. Yeah. And, you know, in the first victim's case, he flew a plane. There are so so many places that you can only get to by plane or boat. Yeah. And so if nobody else takes a plane or a boat out to those areas, then how are they going to get discovered? Mm -hmm. You know, kind of like in the movie Proposal, where they always had to take the boat from the little city (laughs) out to the family's property. Yeah, she had to climb down that little ladder. (laughs) In her heels. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, that just goes to show you how much rural land there is out there. Yeah. Pro tip from somebody (laughs) who isn't a pro, don't get lost in Alaska wilderness. Noted. I'll do my best. Uh, One thing that might cause you to get lost and another contributing factor to mental health issues is long periods of darkness. According to alaska.org, the shortest day is winter solstice, which is December 21st. And in the Anchorage area, there are five hours and 28 minutes of daylight that day. Five hours and 28 minutes. That's so much. No. On the spring equinox, which is March 22nd, they start gaining about six minutes of daylight per day. That's not much. No, it's bizarre. (laughs) I also saw that in Barrow, which is the northernmost town, the sun sets on November 18th and doesn't rise again until January 23rd, which is 67 (laughs) days of darkness. I can't. 67 days. I can't. Like, that's crazy. And it has to mess with your circadian rhythm. I mean, I I don't see how it wouldn't. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. When I was working nights, eventually my body just couldn't do it. Like, it was so hard to sleep when the sun was shining and then stay awake when it was nighttime. Like, blackout curtains didn't help. It didn't matter. Pitch black in my room. And I'd be wide awake. My internal clock was like, nope, it's daytime. I'm not having it. Yeah. Sleep deprivation is real. Seriously, there is a reason that they use it as a torture tactic. Yes. Now, the opposite is also true. Anchorage Daily News said that during summer solstice, which is June 20th or 21st, in Anchorage, there are 19 and a half hours of daylight. And that's only how long the sun is actually above the horizon. But then they also have what they call civil twilight, which is where the light available allows you to still function without needing lights. So like sunset or dusk. Okay. And Anchorage has 24 hours of daylight or civil twilight from June 8th to July 5th. And yeah, it's, it's something to see for sure. Um, when I was there, it was 11 PM when we got to our hotel and it was still like daylight outside. It was the most bizarre thing. Yeah. I mean, that's just, it would just mess you up. Yeah. I didn't know if it was morning or night, but I was like, no, I I know it's PM. Like, 
I couldn't at your watch. It's like 11. Is that a.m. or yeah. p.m.? I don't know <laughs> I anymore. Like, my, my brain was like, I can't, does not process, does not compute. I, mean, <laughs> I guess that's a lot of vitamin D. Yeah. If nothing else, maybe too Ooh. much vitamin D. <laughs> I don't know. Can you have too much? Uh-huh. All right. Another contributing factor is sort of related to the land people ratio. Kind of like I was mentioning earlier, there are so many small towns that are separated by hundreds of miles. The only way in or out is by plane or boat. Not all of these towns have police. So it can take time for police to respond, which could give criminals time to flee, hide evidence, clean up the Mm -hmm. crime scene. Who knows? Yeah. If they're lucky, they would wait for the next plane to come in, like the ones with the cops on it. (laughs) So the last thing discovery lists is the volume of seasonal workers. This includes oil pipeline workers, loggers, probably gold miners. I only say that because I used to watch Gold Rush. people that would come in like thinking like oh yeah this is easy and so they would come in around the time that the ground starts to thaw and then they would pack up after the first freeze oh and ice road truckers was that in alaska that's kind of an old one deadliest catch was yeah and that was kind of a seasonal type job yeah and when you talk seasonal workers they're here one day and gone the next like they may stay the whole season they may not deadliest catch like they're in and out of that all the time yeah people can't hang i couldn't for sure yeah I, I know these people. Wow. And looking at those types of jobs that you listed, I can see how people might want to come in, try it out, and then just quit one day with no word and just mm-hmm. up and leave. Or even as the seasons change, like once the freeze hits, just up and leave and be done. Okay, I'm done. So I'm going to go back to my life without making a big hoopla out of it to tell everybody. Yeah. And they aren't going to think that every person that bails had something happen to them. Yeah. Especially since it's such a common occurrence. Yeah. So before we go, we want to acknowledge the other women who were also victimized by this monster. According to heavy.com, as a part of his plea deal, he took police to over a dozen Mm. graves. Now that may or may not be all of them, but the ones he did, it was a dozen, including the two we have already talked about. There are 10 other women. Their names are Joanna Messina, Lisa Fattrell, Sherry Morrow, Sue Luna, Paula Golding, Malia Larson, Delyn Frey, Teresa Watson, Angela Federn, and Tamara Peterson. We can also name Roxanne Eastland and Andrea Altery, although their bodies were never found. Three additional women's graves were identified by the killer, even though he says he didn't kill them. Which makes no sense. Yeah. But also, if he's given out all this information, why would he... Why would he not claim them? Not claim them. Yeah. So that... It just doesn't make sense. Their names are... Celia Van Zanten, Megan Emmerich, and Mary Phil. The remaining known victim was the ultimate undoing of this low life. Cindy Polson was a sex worker who was abducted at gunpoint, taken to the kidnapper's house, and chained by the neck. When R.H. was finished assaulting her, he planned to put her back on his plane and get rid of her as well. While he was preparing the plane, Cindy was able to escape and was found running down the street, handcuffed with no shoes. She went to the police and told them all about what happened. She gave details about his car, the house, his planes, his stutter, and that he was taking her to his cabin in Matamuska, Sasetna Valley. Remember how I said she was found with no shoes? That's because she left them at the plane. Do you think the police believed her? I mean, I would hope so with all those details. Well, you would be wrong. 
Even though they knew that our age fit the description, when they went to talk to him, he had a quote-unquote alibi. And since he was well-liked in the community, they believed him and said that she was making it all up as some sort of revenge. Okay, just because she's a sex worker and just because people in the community like him doesn't mean that it didn't happen. That just makes me mad. It, it infuriates me, but <sighs> anyway, um, there's one person, Greg Baker. He's our hero. He's her hero for sure. With the Alaska Police Department that thought he was probably involved. Around this time, bodies were starting to turn up. Alaska troopers called in the FBI and a retired agent named John Douglas was brought in. He was able to create a profile down to the perpetrator probably having a stutter. What? What? (laughs) That blows my mind. It's so impressive. Like how they can make a profile that is accurate down to a stutter. Right? It's so amazing. Between the stutter, the plane, the cabin near the bodies were turning up. It was all enough to get a search warrant for the property. Yeah. His plane and his car. So like Mm -hmm. they went, they went deep. They searched everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They got a search warrant for all that. Good. So One of the things that they found at his house was an aviation map with X's on it, Mm. which happened to coincide with some of the bodies they found. Oh, really? Overall, there were 24 X's on the map. Yeah, 24. So there are probably more victims than we know about. All the evidence that they collected, R.H. ultimately confessed. Good. He confessed to murdering 17 women and raping another 30 over a 12-year period. Mm. He was sentenced to 461 years and life without parole. Good. And then he died in prison in 2014. Well, now I am just glad that Officer Baker of the Alaska Police Department actually was paying attention Mm -hmm. and realized that this guy has probably got more skeletons in his closet than he was leading the police to believe. I am so glad that That he was on it. He was on it. Yeah. So. Well, and like, okay, 17 and 30 in 12 years. That's like, what, four a year? Wow. Like, oh. And what's sad is that according to allthatsinteresting.com, RH was arrested for abduction and attempted rape of Patricia Roberts, who was a housewife, and again for the rape of Susan Heppard, who was a sex worker. According to heavy.com, he actually took a plea deal on Heppard's case, which meant that the kidnapping charge for Patricia was dropped. And he was only sentenced to five years for that. Like, can you believe that? What? Five years. What? And so he he already had a record of doing stuff like this. Yeah. This and was then, in 72, I think. And then he didn't actually get arrested for all of these other women until 83. So when they went to get his alibi after they found Cindy, yeah, they, they didn't think... His history. They yeah. They seen that. He He's already done this before. So it would have made sense yeah. that it was him. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It just makes me sick. Okay, so you guys, we've kind of beat up on Alaska a little bit, but I do want to say that I've been there and it is beautiful. Like, yes, obviously, as we've talked about, it has crime, but most places do. So I don't want people to be discouraged from going on vacation or anything like that. We went on a cruise many years ago. We did the week long like land tour and then a week on a ship. And it was unlike anything I have ever experienced so far. Um, We went on dune buggies, deep sea fishing, dog sledding. We took a, what are those boats that have the big wheel at the back that like- Like the steamboats? Is that what they are? Steamboats? Mm -hmm. I thought steamboats had to have steam. Yeah, but normally those propel it. The steam propels uh, that so okay that makes sense. 
cool. Anyway, we took one of those to an Eskimo village and it was beautiful. Like the clothing and the things that they made by hand were incredible. Don't they kind of make all that off the land? Like they live yeah. off the land and kind of make all these things just with what nature gives mm-hmm. them? Yeah. And when they, I mean, they use um, hides and things like that to make jackets. And I mean, it's just, it's it's so amazing the things that they can do. The people were so great and I have yet to see a more beautiful place. And one day I'm hoping I can go back with my professional camera mm-hmm. <laughs> and get some really good nature shots that I can do something with. But all that to say, if you're thinking of going to Alaska, please don't let this podcast stop you. Yeah, my parents have been on multiple Alaskan cruises because it is just amazing and they love it mm-hmm. and I love all their pictures when they come back. Yeah. I have yet to go, but it's on my bucket list. One of these days. One of these days. Well, guys, that is the end of this episode. We just want to say that no matter what situation a person is going through, no one deserves to have their life taken away. If you want to look at some of the unidentified cases, you can go to www.doenetwork.org. That is www.doenet w-o-r-k dot o-r-g if you want to donate to help solve cold cases you can also go to seasonofjustice.org that's s-e-a-s-o-n-o-f-j-u-s-t-i-c-e dot o-r-g which according to their website provides grants to law enforcement for advanced dna analysis solutions such as forensic genealogy and next generation sequencing the organization also awards grants to families to support awareness campaigns search teams and other initiatives that can assist in pushing their cold cases forward season of justice's goal is to provide financial resources for both law enforcement and families in order to bring closure to those impacted by unsolved violent crimes all right everyone we are headed back home until our next adventure we will see you next time in arizona see ya we out today's episode is brought to you by dr sexy mama tickling the audio keyboard and everyone's favorite fire ant digging up the dirt find us on instagram and facebook at traveling transgressions or our webpage at travelingtransgressions.com. if you have a story suggestion send us a message and a link to the story if you have one